Welcome to Tales of History and Imagination. Eccentric Tales from History by Simone Whitlow. Today's tale is set in the African kingdom of Ndongo, modern-day Angola, the year 1622. Jao de Souza, the Portuguese governor of Luanda, prepares to meet with Princess Njinga Mabandi, sister of King Ngola Mabandi, ruler of Ndongo. Their mission? To broker a peace after decades of on-again, off-again conflict. Though allied with the neighbouring kingdom of Congo from the late 1490s, Portugal's first contact in Ondongo was in 1510. Initial contact was sporadic, but increasing demand for slaves to work Portugal's Brazilian plantations led to an increased presence in the region. In 1575, Paulo Dias de Novaes, grandson to the explorer Bartolomeu Dias, set up a township on the Ndongo island of Luanda. Accompanied by a hundred settler families, four hundred soldiers, and a handful of priests, Diaz's mission was to set up an enclave, exploit the silver mines of the native town of Kambambe, and to gain control of land south of the Kwanza River. The Jesuit priests were there to convert as many locals as they could to Catholicism, having largely done so in Congo decades earlier. And of course, everybody was on the lookout for slaving opportunities. The township at Luanda was tolerated by Ndongo until 1579, when a member of Dias's party met with the Ngola, the king of Ndongo, to spill the beans on an alleged plot to take over their whole country. Understandably, the Angola responded by expelling the Portuguese from Luanda. Diaz would call on his Congolese allies to back them in a war with Ndongo, and a multi-generational war would kick off in the nation. During the wars, tens of thousands of captives, warrior and civilian alike, were shackled, stored in cages called barracoons, then shipped off to the New World to be worked to death on a plantation. The adversaries fought to a stalemate in 1599. The hostilities ramped up again in 1610, when Philip II of Portugal discovered Ndongo had large reserves of copper. Copper could be alloyed to make bronze cannons to one's heart's content, cannons which would prove very useful in their colonial pursuits. Forced into exile by a combined Portuguese Imbengala force, the Imbengala being a rival tribe, Ngola Mabandi turned to his sister, Najinga, to broker a peace treaty. Now there's a tale, and I'm only paraphrasing, but I think it captures the scene. Najinga arrived for negotiations in full indigenous attire, breaking with a practice of attending diplomatic meetings in Western clothes. Led to the meeting room, she found D'Souza reclined in his chair, with a mat laid on the floor for herself. Now knowing the importance of meeting eye to eye, but completely unperturbed, she called on one of her ladies-in-waiting. The servant comes in, gets down on her hands and knees, and Najinga takes a seat. After some lengthy discussion, in Portuguese, Najinga spoke several languages, the governor and the princess concluded. What about your chair? asked D'Souza, gesturing to the lady-in-waiting. 
keeper. I have many chairs in my home, she replied. And while I have no idea if the poor servant was left there with these slave traders after all, I mean that definitely puts a different spin on it. I think the anecdote highlights the princess's shrewdness and tenacity. She was unwilling to be anything less than an equal to the governor. And it's also an insight that she had a ruthless streak not dissimilar to the Portuguese. De Sousa saw Njinga as an impressive figure, and the two parties came to a peace agreement, which saw Portugal agree to leave Ndongo and recognise their nationhood. The cost was a trade agreement with Portugal, and that the royals, Njinga included, would have to convert to Catholicism. The princess did, taking on the name Dona Ana de Sousa after her baptism, a name she would use in official correspondence from this point on. And for a while, life returned to normal. But then, in 1626, Portugal discarded the treaty. They resumed hostilities, pushing the Ndongo out of their lands. By this stage, Ngola Mbandi had passed away in 1624, and the crown had passed to Njinga. The Ndongo were slowly driven further inland. In 1631, they took refuge in the neighbouring kingdom of Matamba. Now, Njinga was well acquainted with these neighbours. She was in exile there when Ngola Mbandi called on her to broker a peace treaty with Portugal. When her father, the previous Angola, died, Mbandi had Njinga's only child murdered, and Njinga sterilised before ordering her out. Both siblings were front-runners for king, but neither had an outright claim to the throne, as they were both born from the king's slave wives. Again in exile, Njinga was declared ruler of Matamba. During her exile, the Portuguese had a puppet ruler on the throne of Ndongo, Ngola Ehari, soon baptised as Felipe de Sousa. In an effort to turn the people against Njinga, they spread sexist propaganda against the queen, stating God claimed a woman cannot be king. So to counter, Njinga symbolically became a man, from what I can gather, taking on the title of king and doing manly things, whatever they may be. Now if by manly things the sources mean Njinga led their army into battle on numerous occasions, well, this was nothing new. Njinga, formerly a warrior queen, was still very much a warrior king. Despite fighting an enemy whose numbers increased year to year, and with a large technological advantage, Njinga's Matamba stood their ground against Portugal. And then in 1641, the landscape changed. In 1641, the Dutch arrived. They wanted a piece of Africa, and they made quick work of defeating the Portuguese forces at Luanda. As soon as news of this arrived in Matamba, Njinga sent a diplomatic envoy to the Dutch. With a new ally, the king of Matamba was soon winning major battles, like the 1644 Battle of Nolimi, and would besiege the new Portuguese capital, Masangano, in 1647. Portugal called on reinforcements from Brazil to save them. In the wake of a failed siege, Njinga retreated to Mantamba. But then the guerrilla war against Portugal began. The Portuguese couldn't take a walk outside without risk of a sneak attack against them. Finding themselves all on their own again in 1648, Matamba would bolster their numbers by making alliances with other local kingdoms. 
and by offering a safe haven to any and all escaped slaves in need of a new homeland. This gained the king a huge complement of loyal troops in battle. Finally, Portugal gave up. On 24th November 1657, they withdrew all claims to Ndongo. Now this doesn't mean they gave up entirely on getting revenge on King Njinga, backing a number of assassination attempts against the monarch. Njinga Mabandi, Ngola of the kingdoms of Ndongo and Matamba, would die in 1666 at an estimated age of around 80. The monarch would spend their final years settling escaped slaves to the kingdoms. Njinga would build on Matamba's location as the gateway to Central Africa to build a wealthy, mercantile nation. And legend has it that they also kept a harem of 50 to 60 men who would fight for the right to sleep with the monarch. In the morning, the unlucky concubine would also be put to death. Needless to say, Njinga of Ndongo was a highly troublesome character, but also an incredibly fascinating one. Thanks for listening. This has been Tales of History and Imagination. All episodes written and narrated by me, Simone Whitlow. All music, yours truly. Visit the show at historyandimagination.com. You can follow me on social media, links in the show notes and get access to exclusive bonus content via my Patreon, also in the notes. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a like on your podcatcher of choice, and share the episode as word of mouth is the best way to help shows like this grow. Love to see you back in two weeks' time for more tales of history and imagination.